Hello and welcome back to the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Parker, and with me, back again. I feel like I should sing this. Back again. I don't know. Anyway. It's Lisa Hayes. Hello, Lee Summit. Nick, my, you're just trying to mess me up on my intro now, aren't right. you? Because uh, I have it down. Well, not really. Actually, I was trying to be funny and then I lost the joke halfway uh, through. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that happens too. I get it. I'm not that bright. You're super bright. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Special guest today. We're we're back with guests. I like that we're doing that again. Uh, it's boring when it's just us. I think. I think we're fun, but you—that's okay. I like having guests too. Guests are good. They are good. Catherine Swanson. That's no e in the middle. I've made that mistake a couple times. It messes up her email. Catherine Swanson, president at MCC Longview, our local community college. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Catherine, I've got to know you a little bit as we've been launching a new nonprofit in town, the Summit Creates. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know kind of your role, your love of stuff in the community and what the college means to a community. I think that's, I think a lot of times we grow up with the local college and you just know it's there. You know, it's an option, you know, a few of the events that happen every year. Right. But I think a lot of people just take it for granted. And it's been interesting to hear your perspective of just that, the importance and the role that it plays in the community. So I thought, well, since we've been doing this for 600 episodes and six plus years and never talked to anybody at Longview before, we should have you come on and tell us what's going on over there. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So you have 30 seconds. Uh, tell us everything you, there is to know about Longview Community College. That Go! Is, that is a tall order, Nick. Way to that is... not give her a softball at all. <laughs> well, given that there's so much going on, that's impossible. <laughs> and okay. I haven't learned well, my auctioneer voice to tell, be able to rattle through well, them. Well, important, qu- important question. Go. Can you learn to be an auctioneer at Longview? Ah, that is one program we don't have, but if there is a great need in the workforce for it, we'll develop it. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's start with some some, some easy things. I, li- I like to tease at the beginning because you were a little bit nervous, so I was trying to hope that we'd we'd get you we'd get you relaxed and settled in. Because look, Lisa and I, we're we're not going to ask any hard things. We promise. Um, we might ask you about tacos. That's okay, about we will for... ask you about tacos right. probably at the end, yes. So how, how long have you been here? When, when did you get to Longview? So I came to Longview in summer of 21. Um, I've been with Metropolitan Community College since 2015, um, working uh, as the vice chancellor for student success and engagement. And then when we had a president leave in 2021, the chancellor asked me if I'd be willing to serve and um, have loved every minute of it. Did you jump at the opportunity? Was this a no-brainer for you? Oh, yes. Yeah, I I, um, had been working at the district office and was ready for a little break from campus life after 35 years working in higher ed. And then the idea of being able to get back on an active campus for the end of my career was thrilling. And it's so much fun to be with the students, with the faculty and staff, and seeing how, you know, it's one thing to work on the policy and procedure level and the systems level. It's a whole nother thing to see how those policies, procedures, and systems impact the students. How does the how does the, the system work? Because there are different campuses and branches of mm-hmm. the Metropolitan Community Colleges. I mean, are you pretty autonomous, or are there certain campuses are doing certain things? Yes. <laughs> yes and yes. That is, yes that and is a, yes. That is a great answer. So, so, all of, so we have centralized 
processes, policies, procedures, a single board of trustees, and a chancellor that we report through. We have vice chancellors that provide district support to the campuses, but then each campus has to know their community and the community they serve, the workforce and the programs that are needed within that community. And so within the structures of the district, each campus has the autonomy to meet the needs of their local community. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, your role with the community, how the community really interfaces with the college. What does that look like? So, you know, there's a, several different aspects to that. So part of it is just being involved. Sometimes you just have to be there. You need to build the relationships. It's not, you know, going in and having a single meeting. Well, what do you need from the college? That doesn't work. What works is knowing the people. So being involved with the chamber and with the Rotary and um, various community organizations, such as on the hospital board or Lee Summit Creates. And Good plug. Well, of course, I knew you wanted me on this show to be able to do that. (laughs) Um, But it's through building those relationships with the leaders in the community that then you start picking up on, hmm, that seems like it's a need. Let me see if that's something the college can support. I think that's one way. The other way is certainly our um, relationships with the school districts and knowing what they need, what their students are needing as they graduate um, and and helping to fulfill that and you can't do that unless you know the people there and so I do that at the president level but then I have a whole team of people who are interacting with the community in different ways and that's a regular agenda item for us at our president's advisory council meetings is okay tell us about your interactions what are you learning what is it that the college can do to, to meet some of the needs that you're identifying? How much do those relationships and, and that interaction with, whether it's at the community level or, or, or the local school district, um, how much does that drive, you know, the, the programming and the, and the classwork that, that's uh, available? I mean, are you, is it really a lot of just responding to, 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 to needs, driving what you're, what you're doing? So, so in part, yes. Yeah. So, for example, we're getting ready to um, – add on to our automotive technology program. That comes from interacting with employers who are like, we are so desperate for employees. We need you to, we need double the capacity or triple the capacity of what you're producing in graduates. We don't have the physical space to increase those programs. So part of my job is doing the fundraising and now working with the architects and the faculty on the design so that we can increase those programs in order to meet employer needs within the community. And that's an expansion happening right now. That's an expansion happening right now. So we did the first phase last um, year and opened up in the fall to add a collision program. Um, So we now have collision repair on campus. And then... um, By 2025, we'll um, expand our general auto mechanics, our um, Ford Asset, Honda Pact, GM, ASEP programs, add diesel mechanic, and um, expand our ability to support electric vehicle repair. And, you know, you just have to look forward to see what are the needs that are going to be there. That's so cool because, like, I never would have, until a few months ago when you first told me about this. I never would have guessed. I mean, I've driven around and through the campus before, but 
I, I never would have guessed that there's that programming and those classes and certifications available through Longview. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that program has been in place since 1969. Holy moly. Oh, wow. Who knew? Well, that's the thing. I think no, that, and I that's, the, yeah. that's the where I also feel like I, I acknowledge my mistake in not having you or anyone else on before is I think there's a lot of things that, well, who knew that was there? What are some other what are some other examples of that? Do you think where maybe as as you've worked around in the community and you, you've been here since twenty one, so you came in you know right after all those good times of the twenties, <laughs> um, you know as you as you've gotten around, has have there been some things that are are surprised to people? Oh, you have that, or oh, you can do that. So I think some of it is reintroducing the campus to the community in many ways. We had a long-serving president and Dr. Fred Grogan, who was very, very active in the community. Very much. And then, you know, a series of other presidents and then a pandemic. And so you come back from a pandemic and it's like almost starting over in that reintroduction. And so one of the spaces that I think Dr. Grogan really grew at Longview was our role in the arts. And um, I don't know that everybody is aware of our successful theater program, our um, arts programs, our creative writing classes, and, you know, the works that they produce. And uh, I think that's a perfect blend with the Lee Summit community because the arts is an important part of the broader community here. And the more we can work together on that, I think the better. That's been fun for me to learn too. That that's kind of a personal passion of yours as well. When your when your name was suggested as somebody to to reach out to for for our arts arts program, uh, I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. We need somebody from the local college, and and with. But I I had no idea and did not expect to come in. And, and you just I love this stuff. <laughs> I Tell did. us what you love so much about it. I want to hear. So, so, you know, from a few different aspects. Personally, I am a consumer of the arts. I would not say I am a good um, producer of the arts. <laughs> we need both kinds. I am a consumer and a supporter, and I have been for a long time. I've been involved with the public arts programs at previous colleges that I've worked at. And so it developed deeper in some of those um, experiences. But then coming to Longview and seeing how strong those programs are, I'm like, oh, I've got to leverage this. Uh, And so that's one piece of it. But I think another piece of it is art is what is how we express our uniqueness. And I think a big part of education is discovering our individual uniqueness and finding a way to express that. And there are so many different creative pursuits through which that can be done. I think it's how a community expresses itself. I think it's an economic driver because it attracts um, folks to a community and even to a college, whether it's a community member who may not be coming there for classes, but they might come and enjoy the art gallery. And so it provides a connection and a tie um, for people who might not come together otherwise. What's your favorite kind of art to consume? I love museums. Um, it's it's funny. I've, I was just um, on a trip to Ohio going through Pittsburgh and talking to some of the other folks that I met while I was in Ohio and from other parts of the country. And they're like, so what's in Pittsburgh? And I'm like, oh, you've got to go to the Andy Warhol Museum. You've got to go to, you know, and I feel like I can start rattling off. So almost any community I go to, I check out their museums. I love um, 
musical theater. Um, I like dance. I like Do you have a poetry. I know. I was just going to ask her that too. Do you have a favorite show tune? <laughs> oh, pretty much anything from Wicked, I would say. But you know, I'm getting better at the Hamilton, and don't ask me to sing. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> Hamilton, so good! I it feel like that is. was a very pointed look at me. Don't ask me to sing. I know because sometimes you, you provoke her. singing on this show. So I really want you to keep your listener audience. <laughs> Look, my son listens. Uh, I think that might be it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you said earlier, you know, you, about art is kind of, is the way we express ourselves and our, our uniqueness. And I think it's very easy us, for us to take that line and say, yes, absolutely. It is for the producer. But you just said you're you're a consumer more than you are a producer. How do you how do you as a consumer how are you expressing your unique qualities it's with art I, you you, oh. you consume? It's what I'm drawn to. What are the things that make me think? What are the things that trigger um, some sort of emotion that then becomes a part of who I am? What are the things that might be life-changing that you experience in a performance or in looking at a painting for the first time? And that's then turns into who I am as a unique individual. Okay, give us a specific example. Was there like a piece of art that moved you in some way and became a part of your personality? I would say, gosh, this is about... 30 years ago, working at a community college in Texas. And the um, students did, did a student-produced play about, um, you know, we talk about mental health issues with young people right now. And it was about suicide in the college setting. And um, to watch the way those students put that play together, they wrote it, they produced it, they performed it, and it moved me and gave me an insight into the psyche of 18, 19, and 20-year-old college students in a way that made me more passionate about my work in student services in higher ed. That's awesome. That's a great story. I feel like that's one you need to use just all the time. <laughs> Because I think that's one that everybody can relate to as as finding something that that not just moves them but but reinforces your belief in in what you're doing and who you are, whether that's career doing or community work, whatever. Right? There's there's things you see that push that drive a little bit more. So, are there other programs that have moved you like that, where there's for whatever reason, you're just connected to how these students are growing and learning. I mean, I'm sure it happens in a lot of programs, but are there other programs that you just saw come to life or that you were connected to in that way? So this is going to sound like an odd one, but my undergraduate degree is in business management. And so um, I'm always drawn to the business students and the and our um management students and seeing what they do. And, and there's a part of me that believes that we really should have entrepreneurial skills across the curriculum. You know, I can't, a student graduating with a degree in art needs to know how to monetize that and they need some entrepreneurial skills, for example. And um, so at my former college, we, we put, we 
built that into the curriculum. And it was amazing to see how it made people think differently about the degrees they were earning and how they were going to be able to have family-sustaining wages from those degrees by having some basic business skills. And so that is another program that we're continuing to build at Longview. Um, Really excited that working with some of the high schools in the area that will have some early college academy tracks in business with Lee Summit, for example, starting this fall. And um, working on one with Hickman Mills as well. So um, very excited to see how different skill sets change the way a student looks at the things that they are learning. And I think that's a basic foundational skill that's needed anymore. I think that's that's a really important thing that that, that you say there. I, I you know I th- especially with the creative type programs. And, and degrees, I think we're really good about pushing you do this for your passion and it's your, your expressing your uniqueness, but we don't le- in, always include, if it's not a business degree, if it's not an analytical thing, we don't include that entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship attitude or even just business attitude. And, and I've talked uh, to people around the country about this specific thing when it comes to news media, um, as, I, as I talk to people. And as that industry has changed... And there's a lot more smaller media organizations than there are giant corporate ones, right? That all of a sudden, oh, I never learned how to run a business. I learned how to be a reporter or I learned how to be a photographer or whatever, right? And, and now people have to know, how do, I, well, how, do I, how do I actually make money doing this? Well, and even if you don't ever intend to own your own business or be the manager, understanding how businesses run make you a stronger employee, I think. Absolutely. Just understanding the process of the different things that are needed to make it all work. Yes. And then you can decide whether or not you want to be the guy. (laughs) Right. Right. Or just knowing what other people you need to surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. Or how do you make yourself more efficient and effective in what you're doing that gives you different kinds of opportunities along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think what I love is there's this new term. It's probably not even new because I just heard about it, so it's not, but it's called (laughs) entrepreneur. And it's just this idea of, you know, we focus so much on the entrepreneurial spirit and being an entrepreneur, and that's fantastic and great. But there are a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, go into the workforce and essentially work like entrepreneurs, like they come up with ideas, they are the person who, you know, propels your business to the next level. And so I think it's such a vital skill, even like you said, if you don't go into entrepreneurship, just to have those skills as you move into the workforce. And can be used both ways, like as an entrepreneur, you, you learn, well, I'm good at these things, but I better go make a partnership for this other thing. Oh, that's so important to know right. what our strengths are and to be able to leverage them. Well, and I think that's the part is is it's real easy and we can come out knowing our strengths are, but then knowing how to leverage those strengths to get the other things, to get the parts you're missing is, is a, is a skill set that can be taught. It is. Oh, yeah. And um, Longview has a long history of using StrengthsFinder and um, working with students to identify what their strengths are as they're coming in. We are, um, and this is district-wide at MCC, but we're introducing this fall 
pathways. So we have eight pathways so that students, as they're coming in, they just don't wander through the curriculum and then graduate with graduate with way more credits than what they need and use up all their financial aid before they transfer to university. <laughs> all those things are really, really important to serve our students well. And so helping them to get on a curricular pathway um, at the start of their career in college and helping them to identify what those end goals are um, makes a huge difference. And you start that conversation with helping them to understand their strengths and then their interests. And then, you know, okay, what does that mean for you and what you want to study? She had me at Strengths Finders. Just so you know, I'm, well, I work in HR. So, I mean, I love all the personality assessments. Met, yeah, I was just say, if you'd mentioned a personality test, you really would have I, had Lisa. Yes. But I will not go on my tangent. But what I will say is that I do love that you are really helping students analyze at an early age what their strengths are, because I think that's something that later in life we're presented, you know, in the workforce in some capacity, but being able to know that at a younger age can really, you know, support you in making good career choices. So I really love that aspect. And as we're talking about strengths and students, we've talked a lot about the curriculum and the community. Tell us a little bit more about the students that that walk through your doors. Where are they typically from? Um, what are they looking for? Just tell us a little bit more about them. Our students come from all walks of life. So, you know, it's very interesting. I think there's a perception of the community college being primarily for students coming straight out of high school who either don't know what they want to do or can't get into the university they want to go to. And that's such a myth. Our students come from all ages. Our average age is like 26. It's not 18 or 19 or 20. Um, they are coming from our full service area. And so the service area for Longview includes Lee Summit, of course, but it also includes South Kansas City, Cass County, and down into Bates County. So we have students coming from all over. We attract a lot of really strong students with the A-plus scholarship program, and we have a number of other institutional aid that helps to um, students to support their education while they're at the college. Um, uh, we're, we're about 40 to 45% people of color. I think people don't always... Um, think of that out in Lee Summit, um, especially in the rest of our district where they're like, oh, well, that's the Country Club campus. We've got the golf course <laughs> next door. We have a golf team. We have cross country and volleyball. We don't have baseball and soccer, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and that. But our students are all soci um, come from all socioeconomic levels, and it's really hard to, you know, pigeonhole. Here's the typical Longview student. Because there isn't a typical Longview student. They're all, they're community members who are coming just to take classes for interest. Um, they're students who want to go straight into the workforce or to transfer. And so, um, but what I love about working with our students is seeing the world through their eyes, regardless of their age. Last week, we were in um, Jefferson City with a busload of students walking around and meeting legislators and you know we had a, a single parent telling her story and talking about what it takes for her to be able to come to school each day with child care and transportation challenges we had um, a student who had graduated top of his class and is going into 
um, aeronautical engineering and transferring to S&T next year and um, telling his story. And, you know, it's just fascinating to, to hear each of their unique stories. Yeah, I think that's that would be what would make it almost fun, right? Just to see the different stories. It's not always the same one. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, when people ask me, you know, what's the typical student at Longview? There isn't one. <laughs> I love that answer, though. That's because a great I, answer. I mean, it's the idea that, you know, we are so diverse and unique that ultimately there's not a typical demographic of person that we're serving, which I think is really incredible. Well, and what I love about our faculty and staff is that's what draws them to the community college. They could be working at any type of institution of higher ed. We've got the best, but they choose to be in the community college setting because they want to work with that diverse student population. I, I'm curious if, and, and this I don't know if this is just I'm paying attention more or if this is this is an, an actual thing, but as as school districts have are starting to change their focus a little bit instead of being total college prep schools that they're thinking about career pathways. And so, you know, exploring what they're passionate and their strengths are Mm -hmm. right. And so that if it includes college, it's setting them up for that, but also setting up for, if it includes straight to career, it feels like maybe that's almost given a resurgence to the community colleges and the programming that they offer or can offer. It, am I reading that right, or is that just because maybe I'm paying a little more attention than I used to? No, I think you're reading that right. I think students, so I think for the traditional student population, right. not our adult learners right. coming in, will they'll be coming in in the future already having some of that figured out because of the real-world learning that's um, initiatives that are taking place in our school districts. And that's exciting. What it does for us is it changes the conversation with the school districts about how do we create then those pathways? How do we do dual credit differently instead of just putting out a smattering of courses that students figure out? How do we create dual credit pathways um, so that they're the students who are coming out of certain interests who need a post-secondary um, credential know exactly where and how to do that. And we're recognizing the work that they did while they're still in high school as part of that instead of them starting over when they get to the college. Yeah, Nick, I mean, I think you're you're hitting on something that I think is really important, though. And I know I'm technically a millennial late Gen Xer or whatever. You're a Gen Xer. But I are think you just trying to point out that I'm older than you? You are older okay. than me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, just assumed I, that's I, I, I don't have to share, do I? No, 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 you don't. But I, I don't think, think I'm in either about, of those. Like, I very much think about, you know, our generation, we were very much told like college is it. You either go to college or like you're never going to be successful. That's the only way to reach success. And I, I very much think that we're all figuring out that that was a lie. And while it was well-intentioned, I think we're recognizing that, you know, a well-rounded workforce needs all different kinds of skill sets. And so I really think that, like you said, there's more of an openness around exploring those different career pathways. And in fact, I think a lot of us are saying, well, shoot, like we probably should have thought about this 20 years ago because there are you know, areas where we don't have a skilled workforce. So that's my tangent. But I do think it's wonderful that you all are filling that gap too in certain areas. 
Well, and I think uh, to to add to that, I think you you talked about the 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 what do you call the strength searches strength, strengths finder strengths is one finder. of the tools. Yes. Well, right, you talked about that and and doing that that early. I think a lot of us didn't go through that process until we were unhappy in a career. Absolutely right? not. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's not too late, which is a good thing that we're finding. I want to add on though, because we, we just talked about how the, it's changed the way the school, local schools are changing, you know, helps you. In reason. But I think also at the same time, what's different now is adults don't, aren't going to have the same career for 50 years. They're going to go on two or three or four different things. And so the, it's not the right term anymore. Do we still say continuing education? But the thing to come back, right, to retrain or to learn something new, to get into something new, is is not only acceptable, oh, it's, it's something expected. that's being sought out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's necessary. Um, you know, and I can remember, gosh, even 20 years ago when we were talking about the jobs we're preparing students to do haven't even been invented yet. <laughs> we don't even know what they are yet. And and so talking about those universal skills that students need and that type of thing, but um, and, and the need for lifelong learning. And I think we will start seeing more and more, and I think the community colleges, this is our sweet spot, but I think throughout higher ed, we're going to see more short-term certificate programs. We're going to see more flexibility in how and what we're offering in response to those workforce needs as well as to the adults who are – an adult can't say, I'm going to put my life on hold for two or three years and go back to school in order to be able to re-career. They need to be able to do it quicker or in a flexible schedule so that they can still earn a family-sustaining wage to take care of day-to-day business. I love um, that. I love that. And I think there are programs now too. There's a lot of programs that are like, we will help upskill you and we will pay your salary and we will put you through a program that supports you in some of these high demand fields. Like I know Truman Heartland Community Foundation does that and they're very invested in that. So speaking of workforce planning, in the next two to three years, where do you see some of those hot pockets or those you know, highly sought after careers um, that maybe we don't recognize now? Oh, throw me a tough question. (laughs) You just said we don't recognize them now. So I think there's a lot that this whole world of um, AI is going to change everything. And we're just starting to see the, you know, we've been talking about it for a while, but we're just starting to see the beginnings of that. It's going to change the way we educate students. It's going to change the way we work. Um, There are going to be all new careers around that and all new ways of work in current careers that people are going to need to be retrained in. And I think that's going to be huge. And I wish I understood it well enough (laughs) to be able to give you more detail than that. But um, I'm still learning it myself. No, it's great. And it's a disruptor. I mean, it really is a disruptor. And I even think about, I even think about things like, you know, when we were, when we went to school, it was like, you couldn't plagiarize. Well, what if an AI like bot writes your paper for you? Like, is that plagiarism or like, it's just so interesting to kind of explore. That will detect whether a bot has helped write that. Oh, will they really? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Those are coming out. I've been reading a little bit. Oh, I didn't know that. And they should. But, but. So that's an old way of looking at education. It's like, okay, 
So they've, how do we catch them? How do we punish them? How should we leverage it? How should we teach it? How should we help students understand where and how to incorporate that into their education. I love that. How do I we do use too. it in the classroom? Um, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and I went to a few different sessions, and, you know, there were sessions on, you know, creating curriculum around, you know, AI from that perspective, but then a whole other set of how do you use AI in the liberal arts? How do you use AI in the classroom? What does this mean for how we teach writing? What does this mean for, you know, fill in the blank? And so I really think the colleges and educators who embrace it and look at how they do their jobs differently using it are going to be the ones who are successful in really training our future. I think that's key, the how we use it and learn how to use it. And I, I'll give an example. My son, who is a, a sophomore in high school, is, is loves creative writing, takes the classes. He does it on his own. Well, he was all frustrated because he was at a writer's block and could not figure out how to get past the idea into his head to something I was going to say on paper, but they don't write on paper anymore. And, and I don't either. I don't, I do not, I have trouble writing with a pen now that I can just, or just sit down at a keyboard. It's easier. But so we went and I pulled up the chat GPT, which, which I am learning to use a little bit for my own, some of my own work. And he and I sat there and I said, let's just, just your ideas. And we threw it out and then typed in like his idea, but with a different tone and a different tone. And it played around. But what it did was, it gave him ideas to then go back and write on his own. And it was just, it was just seeing something come out of his weird brainstormy thoughts. Oh yeah, I can do that. I can tell that story. That's great. I think that's a wonderful example of how it can best be used. Just as a starter. Yeah. Just as a starter. I mean, I'm still terrified by it as an author. Cause like people ask me, they're like, well, do you, well, I think do that, you use it? And I'm like, no, I absolutely do not use that. But like, I have to get over that too, right? But I think there, that's just you and, I, you and I uh, suffer from extreme imposter syndrome. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> and, and so our first thought is, I'm going to be replaced. I know. That is actually, that is sort of terrifying. I mean, we, we're already admit. fear of being replaced by people. Now we're, I know. Now we're going to be replaced by computers too. I so know. it's like everybody's going to figure us out. Nick, you figured out the root of it. <laughs> we're just terrified. It's fine. We're all but, just scared. But think about mathematicians, you know, so. I'm fine when to get I, rid of them. <laughs> so, so, but when I took calculus, for example, Ew. there was, we weren't allowed to use calculators. We didn't have graphing calculators. Mm. You know, I'm kind of like, I figured that out all, you know, I, I did all those calculations and that now a student wouldn't think or a teacher wouldn't think of teaching calculus without a graphing calculator. That's true. And so it's a tool. And so we just have to learn how to use the tools. But I remember those years when they first came out and the way all of our math faculty were, you know, kind of wringing their hands and trying to figure out, do we allow it? Do we not? You know, what? And it just changes then the way that you teach. Well, and I think we're seeing that same debate about, as I mentioned earlier, about the writing with a pen and paper versus writing with a keyboard. You know, there are a lot of people who are still like, but you have to learn cursive. You have to learn. You and sound like my mother-in-law, I d- 97 I years right. old. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I'll admit it. I don't know. I, there's a the bigger part of me says, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's a different tool now. They're still writing. 
Absolutely. I think for me with my kids, the only thing that I saw, you know, my son being 13, he doesn't know how to sign his name. So I'm like, that's the only thing that I'm sort of like, maybe just teach them cursive and how to sign their name. Right. Because you have to sign documents, like even when you're scribbling it on the... I guess it doesn't Even really then, matter, maybe. There's a lot of e-signs that are click a button. Oh, yeah, yeah. good point. Okay. Click, okay. A, click a button, put your email address, and that counts. So it's like even the even the documentation is changing to match the tool. That's fair. Is it? Does it terrify you at all that writing could be like become archaic, well, though, like on pen and paper? Well, look, as, as, uh, uh, as an older white man, of course change <laughs> is scary. <laughs> <laughs> But let's go back to the beginning of the conversation around creative expression. There will always be a need. Humans have a need for creative expression in some sort, and writing is part of that. There will always be a need for communication, and writing is a part of that. So we will use different tools maybe than we have in the past, but I don't see it going away. Right. We, did, did we cry the same cries when we went from the chisel to the pen? Fair question. Probably. 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 Yeah. <laughs> probably because change did. is hard and it's some hard people don't care yeah. for it. Yeah. 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 Or, or the, I mean, we don't have photo albums very often anymore, right? We we have our phones. That's our photo album. Right. That's a good point. We just need to get, we need to move forward and get over it, right? Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. just get over it. Yes. <laughs> just get over it. <laughs> well, as, as, we, as we wrap up, because I, I know that you actually have a real job that where you work and you, you know, take care of people and those things. What are we missing? What else do we need to know about what's happening at, at, at Longview? Well, I couldn't come here without plugging a couple of upcoming events. Absolutely. Please do. And so I'm going to go back to the arts. So um, May 4th through 5th at 7. Our fourth and fifth at seven thirty p.m. Our theaters um, will be performing Bob, a life in five acts. Um, they'll also have a matinee performance on May sixth at two thirty, and that'll be in the Cultural Arts Center at Longview. Um, our art gallery will be featuring our end of the semester student art show from um, May first through the sixth, and that gallery is open from ten to um, one. And then um, I have to tell you about our College for Kids program this summer because oh, awesome. we're doing it. Oh, yes, we do want to hear about it. We're doing a theater camp, and um, it's targeted towards fifth through eighth graders, and it'll be June 12th through 23rd. And the students in that camp will take a production from beginning to end and perform it at the end of the two weeks. And so I think that that's a great opportunity. That's and awesome. That is incredible. People can learn about all of those things at mcckc.edu. Oh, she's already started to answer the next question. If people want to learn more, they can go to the website. Say it again. mcckc.edu. And if they want to follow along on the socials, can they follow along with Longview? Uh, so it's all on the mcckc social media Um and so, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we're there. Awesome. Well, Catherine, thanks so much for, for coming on. Writing my wrong, we've now had Longview on the show. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, too. It's great to be on the show, and I hope you'll invite me back in the future. Well, we have to now. Well, we're absolutely to. inviting we you back. We have to now. Yes, we <laughs> are. Okay, <laughs> terrific. <laughs> Catherine, thank you. Thanks so much. That will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time.